we pride ourselves in being high or we want to come under every budget. We want to exceed everyone's expectation, not only in quality, but in, you know, you get more than you expected for less than you expected to pay. Every every business that wants to be successful, regardless of your industry, you know, would have some, you know, take on the, that same thing. You want people to feel the value. The big question is, how can you fix and transform your organization's most important foundation, your software, into an asset which allows you to become better every single day? Each department is at its best when it can smoothly, efficiently, and productively operate. And to do that, you need to pay attention to the lifeblood of your organization, your software. The custom software creation geniuses at Architect Now are presenting this podcast as a way to help leaders think more strategically about their software and to roadmap what needs to happen in order to be at the top of their game. No, this podcast is not going to scramble your brain by talking about DevOps or API calls. Our goal on this show is to make you better by giving you the high-level insights that you need so you can better make decisions that will not only be cost-effective, but will help your team on an intangible level as well as a technical one. Welcome to Newsflash, your software company. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Newsflash, your software company. I'm your host, Corey Durkin, and along with me are Kevin Grossnaklaus, Don Jacobs-Meyer, and Alex Will from Architect Now. And today we're going to talk about a very mysterious part of the software development, the app development process, which is about how you actually figure out what one of those projects costs. And it's kind of a black box in a lot of ways, because if if you're someone who's not incredibly technical and you can kind of map out how a piece of software or an app gets built from the ground up, it's very tough to determine, you know, how is that going to be priced out? Um, you know, time and materials, fixed bid, not to exceed are kind of the three ways that a lot of people build this stuff out and, and really estimate these prices. So we're going to have a conversation about specifically how Architect Now comes at this from a holistic standpoint, right? What's best for the client? What's best for architect now? And what are the ways in which you can kind of think about the pricing of a software build out um, or an app project? So Kevin, um, you know, to start out, I think it's important to remind uh, ourselves of the famous Vince Lombardi quote, which is, this is a football. So if we're going to do the, this is a football version of um, software development pricing. Tell us a little bit about the the triangle of uh, uh, you know time, cost, and features. What is that triangle, and how is it different from Phil Jackson's? <laughs> exactly. Probably not that fundamentally different from Phil Jackson. Right. But no, uh, in my, I was very fortunate as a young developer in my early twenties to work at an organization that let me be involved in not just writing software, but, you know, and selling that software and working with customers on defining what not, not just what it would cost, but how long it would take and how much can get done. And that, and the triangle you mentioned was really something that they, they let me know about or, or kind of beat into my head back then and said, here's, you know, software is not fundamentally different than a lot of other types of projects. And, and they, I was, it was explained to me and I explained it to others and I try to share as much as I can really comes down to a triangle that has three sides. One is how much money do you have? Uh, the second side is how much time do you have? And the third side is how much or how many features or how much work do you need to get done? Right? So the, the triangle, those sides all have to kind of meet on in the corner. So if you're looking at software, 
And if I'm, you know, at a 50,000 foot level talking to a customer, I explain that to them. And I say, you pick, you know, you get to define the scale of two of those sides. I get to define the scale of the, the third. So you pick two, I pick one, I pick whatever's remaining. So if you tell me you've only got this much money and you've only got this much time, you've picked your two. My, the, my option is now the features. I can tell you how many features can get done with the amount of money and the amount of time you have. If you tell me you've only got so much money and exactly what features you need done, the third that comes back to me is your, whether I'm an employee, whether I'm a, a partner like Architect Now, whatever our relationship is, if I'm helping you define what can be done in the terms of software development, if you tell me how many features and how much money you have, I tell you how long it might take. So time is the one that I can control. So, you know, there's some nuance in that, but for the most part, you know, those, that common rule has for my entire career and for everybody that I know has always stayed the same in how you, now, I think bigger part of the discussion today is how we tell, I mean, we don't, we never go in with a blank check. We always work with customers and, you know, we figure out, they tell us what they want. And we, based on our experience and, you know, similar projects, we can say, Hey, this is going to take two months and cost 50,000 or whatever the, the, the price is for that particular software project. You know, we can give some ideas of where we think it might go, but those ideas are going to be predicated on if I'm telling you what time and money, you need to tell me what features you want done. So the, the triangle still applies. So, and, and there's ways of pricing, but that's the, the basis. of Sure. It. And, and so if we take it from the triangle to more specific language in, 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 in a, uh, you know, in a contract with the client, um, when we talk about time and materials, so there's there's three ways that that software companies typically bill for these types of projects. It's time and materials, fixed bid, and another category called not to exceed. Um, Don, can you start us off by talking about the time and materials uh, a bidding structure or pricing structure? Absolutely. So when we talk about time and materials, it's basically the, the time it takes to do something as well as any of the you know, material input costs. In the world of software, that typically doesn't amount to a, a whole lot, but sometimes there's paid libraries or other tooling that we might buy to make it styled in just such a way or make the process go faster or more standardized. Um, so that's for the material part, but you know, 99% of the sum is really the time. So when we say it's gonna be time and materials, it means it's gonna take as long as it takes. And so there's an hourly rate associated with that. Um, and the amount of hours that are logged by whether it's one person or a whole team of people, um, you know, multiplied by the rate is, largely what you get. And, yeah. you know, the goal there is to be as, as efficient as possible with that time so that, uh, you know, the end output is a quality output, but it's also for the best price that you could get. Got it. And then uh, before we go into the pros and cons of each, um, Alex, talk to us about the fixed bid pricing structure for a software development project. Yeah, so this also came on another popular term is the value-based pricing for fixed fee. Um, so a lot of people call it that. Basically, what you're doing is you're working with the client to kind of figure out how much, how valuable is this project to them and what's their risk factor and figuring out kind of what the outcome is. So if something is worth, you know, $10 million to them, then paying, you know, $3 million to the project for a fixed fee could be very acceptable. And you just got to figure out to make sure your time going into it and your risk going into it it would be easily covered by that, you know, fixed fee. 
there's a lot more work trying to figure out with the client what the return on investment of this project is and making sure your fixed fee can fit within their projected costs. Got it. And then the third pricing structure is not to exceed. Tell us a little bit about that, Kevin. Not to exceed is kind of a hybrid of the two. Uh, generally, the the partner works, you know, hourly and they're charging per hour or some time, usually hour, but, the, you know, some slice of time. And then ultimately, there's just some contractual language that says, we think we can get this done in a year, in 12 months, say. And we, we do the math and we say 12 months of our cost, you know, however many developers times the hourly rate is going to cost, say, a million dollars just to be yeah. an even yeah. big number. Um, we think we can hit that. And if we get it done in three months, you only pay for three months worth of work, whatever the time went into that three months. If for whatever reason there's there's delays or some something that causes us not to be efficient and we go beyond that year, once we're done with that year, we only charge up to that year. Beyond that, we work for free contractually until you know there's no more billing that goes on. Uh, but we are still required to deliver whatever was agreed upon, it would be delivered. So not to exceed tends to be the worst of the three. Now, as Alex said, uh, uh, value-based pricing or fixed bid still comes down to someone's time and effort and cost, right? If I'm a business, and I think something's going to take me three months and you say, great, fix bid that. I'm not going to fix bid it at three months because there's risk. It could take four or, you know, I'm going to fix bid it at a year and three months. I'm going to multiply that number out. I'm going to come back to the value. I mean, if you think it's a million dollars and I think I can get it done in three months, I'm going to charge you close to a million dollars and take a huge chunk of profit back to my company out of whatever you think. So value could go both ways and fix bid, right? A customer could say, Hey, my, I think it's going to be $10 million in value. I'm only going to pay you a million dollars. Well, the, the vendor might say a million dollars is great because it only costs us a quarter of a million to build it. So we walk away with $750,000. You walk away with something that provides you 10 times the value. Life is good on both sides. It's win-win, but there's risk in fixed bid. You come back to time the materials, as long as both sides are partnering well and you know software changes and morphs and evolves, there's tends to be less risk and a better partnership long-term in the time and materials of the three we just talked about. And so that's a great segue into my next question, which is if you're talking to a client and they're trying to assess how is Architect now going to price this out, talk to me a little bit about your process and, and your holistic viewpoint on creating that win-win for both sides. I mean, obviously for us to give any estimate of time and money, we need to know the features back to that triangle. So we spend time up front uh, sometimes just during a traditional sales cycle, sometimes it's a, a more paid design phase where we'll go in and say, you know, for two weeks or four weeks of a design, we will start to gather all the business rules, the prototypes, mock-ups. We'll start to put pen to paper and draw a box around everything that you think you need, whether it's a mobile app, a website, whatever the, the technology, whether you're modernizing an old app. We've talked a lot in previous episodes about what's possible with technology. But we need to gather enough information that our, our teams, our teams of technologists and product owners and everyone involved can say, we've, you know, we've created spreadsheets and estimates, and we think that total number of hours, sometimes we have enough detail to get down to hours, other times we estimate by days or weeks, um, and we, we come up with our best, I mean, typically we know the technology stack, and we've built many other products with the same technology stack, typically we've you know, we know if this is an app of a reasonable size, it has 10 screens in a small database. We compare it to previous projects with previous teams and say, hey, we, this is going to be in this range. So we, we check ourselves on those estimates. And then we come back in the end with a document that says, hey, we, we've 
gathered up everything we think. This is still an estimate. It's a time and materials estimate, but we think this can be accomplished in six months, you know, four people on a team or whatever the team size is working for six months. And the cost of that, you know, doing the math is this. So we've put pen to paper and said, we've, we've got a pretty good understanding of the features, an estimate of the costs and an estimate of the time. So that triangle is visible to everyone. And sometimes that discussion then turns, customer says, well, I need it done quicker. So they want to adjust the time. Or they say that that budget is, I really, you said it's going to be 250,000 and we've only got investment for 200,000. So we're 50,000 off. Uh, so we need to adjust the features or the time, use less people and take longer. Um, whatever, however that could be, we, we can adjust the dials of that triangle, but it's really three dials that we can bring it down. So we do estimates. We pride ourselves on those estimates. We, we know on a typical project, how many testers are going to be needed or, or product owner, you know, slash project management hours are going to be needed. Um, we know, you know, if there's costs, as Don alluded to, if there's software that might be needed, we have a pretty good idea up front that, you know, we either own everything that we already need, or we're going to have to buy licenses to some obscure thing. Uh, we, we have, and we add contingency. Uh, it's never, it never behooves us or any company like us to underbid a project and then just go back later and say, you know, we, we sold you a bill of goods and it was really going to cost a lot more. We always add, you know, based on what we feel we know and where there's gray area, we might say we're going to add 10% or 20% to this. And if they don't, we don't need it. We don't need it. Uh, but, and we tell the cut, we're always upfront with that. We're always, you know, completely transparent with all of our pricing. We think this is going to be what it is, but the reality is once that project kicks off and once we agree, and we think this is a fit for everyone involved, the team starts working. They have that budget in mind. They have that timeline in mind. We, we report to that, you know, every other week we say, here's where we stand against both of those numbers. Uh, we know what features we're targeting. Everybody works towards that end goal, but software is built in a very dynamic and agile way. Customers can say, they can get halfway through and say, man, you've only built half of what we wanted, but it's enough. We like it. I mean, this is all we need. We should stop now. That's perfectly acceptable. Um, they can say, hey, you know, we're going so fast, we're under budget. Let's add some new features that we never thought of before. And then we have the discussion that say, hey, if you cut these features and add these features, that's great. We're still going to come in under budget or on time, you know, whichever, you know, everybody is now on the same playing field and we're both part of a bigger team that's targeting the same number. And that makes a lot of sense because if it's that sort of agile, ever-changing design iteration environment, um, Don, I think that really kind of lends itself to not only, as Kevin said, kind of the ability for the triangle being visible to everyone, but it also allows you a great use case where neither side is kind of backed into a corner trying to figure out how to dig themselves out of a hole because the project kind of went awry. Is that, is that pretty much correct? Exactly. Um, you know, a perfect example of that is some of our long-term customers have done some upfront scope with us and we, we did the project we delivered, you know, that worked, but what was, what we provided even beyond the actual deliverable is, um, how do you make the most of working with Architect Now? And so they really use us as an outsourced entire development department where we have mutual trust and respect to their business goals as well as our development process and how we use money to, to turn that into you know, deliverables as code. Um, they don't need to tell us how we should do our work. 
we've proven to them that this is a really efficient and effective way to do all of this. So there's when you when you start to extrapolate this out to you know more than one scope at a time, this model works even better than um, just a let's say value based project because once you do that value based project, you don't really know who won. <laughs> you know, in that skirmish, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit un, unclear, but, um, you know, when you go through a time materials project, like, you know, everything is out in the open. It's kind of like an open transparent ledger of sorts. Like, hey, this is our collective results. Sure, sure. And and speaking of kind of that, so the, those gray areas and certainly it's not necessarily a linear process to develop software. So I can definitely see where some wires could get crossed or things get a little blurry here and there on specific parts of a project. Um, Kevin, when a client makes decisions or decides they want things that are kind of counter to what you know you both agreed on, or let's start with that. If a client kind of makes decisions that are counter to what you agreed on, how do you handle that? while also being aware that it is a process that iterates and does have some tendency to change. I think we embrace that change to some degree and, and it's communication. We talk to them. I, a statement you just made where you said it's not a linear process. Uh, the industry as a whole, I think used to think it was a linear process that we, you know, for developers that come from a certain era, maybe in our industry, uh, myself being one of those, we used to follow what we called the waterfall method. We would spend a significant amount of time up front putting pen to paper before anybody touched a keyboard and wrote code. We would write out all the requirements. We talked to all the users. We'd you know gather up every requirement. And then there was a point in the process where we thought we know everything. We are 100% clued into every feature, every screen, how it should look, where buttons should go, what they should do, every piece of data, every report, whatever, whatever was required. That was done. Now we move into development. So now you gather up a bunch of coders and you give them all these requirements, stacks of paper or you know, large documents, whatever it might be. They go and build. And they just go off into their cave, you know, the proverbial developer cube, and they you know, heads down, write code until it's done. Then it's done. You turn around and give it to the user and say, here's everything you told us about. You spent three months gathering requirements. We spent eight months building it. We are done. Congratulations, go. Well, from point A to point B, you're now nearly a year in potentially longer before anybody ever saw the finished product. And the minute you see the finished product, you realize, man, that might've looked good on paper, but now it just doesn't, you know, I really wish this didn't look like this or didn't you know the tabs between fields, whatever the case may be, the data, we have different ideas now than we did 10 months ago because our business has evolved. Uh, and that was, a, it, ultimately we shifted from that into this process we're talking about now that we, it's more agile. So we build differently, have different relationships, we track. And when a customer now says that, hey, I've got a different idea or that they are doing something counter to that process, we can have the discussion and say, we can absorb this cost, but you're going to have to, if we make this pivot here, you're going to have to pivot somewhere else to give up. Sometimes it's going to take longer or it's going to cost a little more. Or do you want to give up feature A for feature Y because you just have a different idea? You know, we're trying to keep within under this umbrella. Um, it's not linear today, and we don't gather those requirements up front to the same level. So that gray area you mentioned is, you know, we start, we know up front in a project, we have a very good understanding of big ticket features. 
uh, we have a, our, as best as we can know at that level what we think the estimate may be and we pad it and of time and cost and people and technologies and all of those things but in the end once we start we get you know we, we work in what we call sprints two-week sprints so every two weeks we're taking some features and we're building them and we're defining them to another level of detail and we're getting it done and we're showing it off to the customer and production ready. Here's a screen that's completed, does everything you want. Tell us what you think. So they get to play with it. They get to use it on their phones or their, their devices or their browsers, whatever type of app it is. And if they want to change it, they tell us and, and we can absorb that change on an iterative basis. The next two weeks, we might do new stuff, but also tweak the stuff that we just completed. And it just, constantly evolves uh, and once they kind of buy into that process and know that they're going to have some ability to change sometimes they come up with ideas that we're like man this could double the cost of your overall product this is just uh, even a software developer is much like a carpenter if you tell me man that's a good idea but i want you to move the pool from the backyard to the side yard well we've already got the pool foundation laid and as your contractor i'm going to be honest with you and tell you that's going to be a big impact to your budget uh, we're not fundamentally different as technologists. We know the big ticket items and we know the small things. So the process absorbs the small things and keeps you aware of the big ticket items. And sometimes you want to undertake the big ticket items, but they should know the impact. And they, our customers work with us every day. They're, they see all these numbers, they see these reports, they see the progress, and they know in a time of materials type engagement that it's, you know, their choices have an impact, positive or negative. They can they can simplify things or they can complicate things. And somebody's paying those bills and somebody's, you know, has expectation of the time. So everyone involved has the ability to adjust accordingly. And to, to, to end the episode, you mentioned uh, simplifying versus complicating things. Because this process is, as we've clearly laid out, is it's a little complex. It's it's nonlinear in some cases. There are things that come up that are hard to anticipate, even if you've done a similar project ten times. That sometimes once you know there's a there can be a curveball thrown once once in a while. And if you're an outsider, right? Like let's say you're somebody who's on the sales side of things, and you're trying to figure out just how to understand this process um, to to really get your legs under you with how Architect now works this out, what would you say is the biggest piece of the, the puzzle for them to understand that's different uh, if they've been in a scenario where they're doing fixed bid type of work for, for, for most of their life? What's, wh how, what's the version of this that helps a, a person like that on the sales side of things simplify in their own mind so they can get around the value to both architect now and to the client? Well, I mean, from a fixed bid standpoint, there's got to be a huge amount of detail and in, in understanding and agreement up front on exactly screen to screen, feature to feature, what is going to be built for this fixed cost. If I say it's going to be $500,000, I better have it. I would never say that unless I had a certain amount of detail, a, a, a lot of detail as to what went into those buckets. In the minute you deviate, if you rename a field, if you change anything, the relationship is different. I don't just do it and absorb it and allow you to change and say, hey, we'll do that if we remove this because there's risk involved, right? You, We agreed to a feature set and we agreed to a price. So unless I'm just out of the goodness of my heart willing to do it, there, you know, that's all change orders at that point or whatever term you might sure, sure, that. sure. I go in and say, hey, that's good, but it's another $5,000. Uh, you want another little thing here? I could do that. It's another $10,000. 
And, you know, we, we just go back and forth and negotiate those numbers back, you know, and it becomes a little bit, or it could easily become a little bit adversarial between the parties. We're not all on the same, I'm fighting for the profit and the sustainability of my business and my project over here. You're fighting for the same way you want as much as you can get for the price that I agreed to fix it for. So we're, we're both arguing from a basis of helping our companies, not from a partnership standpoint where we're, we're both trying to have a successful project in the end fixed bid. There are people that do it well. And there are people that claim there's certain types of projects that fits better than others. But we, at least the company that, that we're speaking from, the experience that we're speaking from is a lot more 100% custom and collaborative. Yeah. Uh, we change yeah. all the time. We, we embrace the change, and but never with a blank check. No one just shows up and says, here's a blank check. Charge us whatever you want. Just start working for us and come back in two years. We'll see what you did for us. We're always tracking to there's got to be value. Yeah. There's got to yeah. be, you know, this is the budget expectation. If we need to adjust it up or down, we, we do that as a team, the time, if we need to adjust it, you know, and sometimes we can adjust it. So I'm not going in saying this was my estimate and we'll just adjust it up as we need more and more and more and more and more. And it becomes a blank check. Nope. We got to figure out when to tie off the, you know, the feature set or the time and start to get this project out the door. Yeah. And, and, and to be able to have that, I think that's one of the things that's great about the way you work is those kind of biweekly check-ins with the clients because you might have to say, look, in our professional experience, we hear what you're asking for, but you're telling us that you don't have the budget for that in this budget cycle. So let's tie off. We got to come up with a better analogy, but let's let's uh, let let's let's stop the development process on this set of phase one features. And then when you're into your next budget cycle and you can release more money towards making this a bigger version of what you want, then we can do that. The only way you really get there is by having this very holistic, transparent, um, collaborative process of pricing that you're describing. That's exactly right. And, and, it, and it works. And it, we pride ourselves in being high or we want to come under every budget. We want to exceed everyone's expectation, not only in quality, but in, you know, you get more than you expected for less than you expected to pay. Every, every business that wants to be successful, regardless of your industry, you know, would have some you know, take on the, that same thing. You want people to feel the value and, and realize the value. So we're nobody, you don't get too far by having that one project double in cost, right? And we've, we've had projects go over budget, I'm not going to lie, but we, you know, the communication and the process up to that point, it wasn't a shock to anyone. Yeah. We knew as early as possible, we, discussions were had and decisions were made. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and also so, in those scenarios, if, if discussions were had and decisions were made because the client, you know, called an audible and said, we need this instead of this or whatever, at least there's time for them to understand, Hey, like that's, this is our part in why the scope got expanded. Again, it just, it makes everybody feel good about the process because everyone is on the same page. And I think that your ability to over communicate each step of the way is a, an amazing way to make sure that not only wires are not getting crossed, but also that every party involved feels like it's just going as smoothly as it can possibly go in the world of software development, which is, you know, fingers crossed that it all goes smoothly every single time. Um, and 99.8% of the time that does work with architect now. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know about that, but I mean, it was close. but everything we're talking about today still applies. If you're an enterprise, you're not even working with external partners, right? right? You, right. It's just your own employees, your own teams. You still have a cost. You're paying those employees. You have a timeline. You want stuff done and you have amount of features, right? So you're still, whether that whether there's a partnership and a contract that has something like time and materials or fixed bid with a third party, or uh, you're just doing it yourself, 
the more you think about that, the better the overall product's going to be. Now you get a large enough company and everyone's just becomes a sunk cost and you're just keeping everyone busy. We do see companies that that don't operate that way, maybe to the detriment of shareholders or or executives that are just spending money and maybe not getting the value they think because they don't have that mindset of we need to control cost and time and make sure we're getting value for the hours that we spend on projects. But the people that that I look at and look up to and admire that are running businesses like that. They're, they're thinking about it that way. They, they think about it the same way for their internal team as I think about it as a, as a third party vendor that might be providing similar services. hundred percent. I think that's a great place to leave the episode. I love the idea that with architect now the triangle remains visible at all times. That's a, that's a beautiful place to come from in the service of clients. And uh, this has been a great episode. This has been a great episode of Newsflash, you're a software company, and we'll see you on the next show. Thanks for being here, gentlemen. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. This podcast is presented to you by Architect Now. Whether launching new cloud or mobile apps or modernizing your legacy platforms, Architect Now can help you identify the best options and work with you to bring those ideas to life. If you like the information in this podcast, we can assure you it is only a fraction of the actionable wisdom and insights you will gain by talking to the team at Architect Now. To learn more and start a conversation, visit us on the web at www.architectnow.net. We'll see you on the next episode of the Newsflash, You're a Software Company podcast.